I need a lot of help tonight. I need you guys with me. I need you guys vocal. I need you guys helping me out in some different ways. And so here's what we're going to, thank you. And so here's what we're going to do. We are going to just have you guys raise your hand if what I say is true of you. I'm going to talk about a couple peculiar habits that sometimes some of us have. And I'm going to raise my hand on this first one because this is true of me. Many of these actually are. But raise your hand if you put food in the microwave, you set the timer and hit start, and then have like a list of things you want to do before it goes off again. Just raise your hands real quick. All right. We're going to have a whole section for us next week, all right? We're going to sit in our own section. We're going to have mass, regular, and then like type A kind of fanatic people like me, all right? And so that's that. Um, If you have to have your volume controls or your thermostat on either an odd or an even number, just raise your hands. Okay, so some of us here as well, right? All right, who are our knuckle-cracking crowd? Who in the room is like, okay, wow, seven's about the knuckle-cracking. All right, how many of you guys can do it, do that like neck thing without even using your hands? You just throw your neck, can anybody? Yeah, that's a little scary though. That's a little scary, all right. Um, how, about it, how about this? I doubt many people are gonna go ahead and admit this. After you blow your nose, you look in the tissue. Is anybody willing to? Like, what are we looking for? Loose change in there? Like, oh, there's that quarter I swallowed. I don't think it comes out that way. But um, pet owners, pet owners, we've got some strange pets too, right? And I don't know what's stranger, us or our pets sometimes. I'm going to be talking a little bit later about our dog, Chewy. But uh, as pet owners, we do some weird stuff. And so do our pets. Chevy Chase once said, I thought it was so weird that my dog chased his tail for five minutes. And then I realized how weird it was that I watched my dog chase his tail for five minutes, right? We're peculiar people. We do some peculiar things. It says in 1 Peter 2.9 in the old school King James Version, you ready for this? But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, and here's our, our phrase, a peculiar people. Now I think we've misunderstood that phrase for a long time as followers of Jesus. Peculiar people, like we're supposed to be weird or or do weird things or something like that. But the NIV translation, which goes right back to the Greek just like the King James did, gives us a better understanding of what this phrase means. And it's so powerful. See, I think when we think about being peculiar pe- uh, God's peculiar people, there's like this negative, weird connotation. We don't quite know what that means or what to do with it. But I love the way that the NIV says it. And in verse 9, it says a lot of the same things. It says, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But then it says this, God's special possession. I love that. Like, that's what it means to be God's peculiar people. Not that we're weird. We're his special possession, right? We belong to him. All right, everybody say what I'm about to say. You ready to say this? Peculiar people means that you and I are God's special possession. So this is not a series about how to deal with the peculiar people in your life. I don't know how to help you when you're weird Uncle Morty. To all the Uncle Mortys in our lives, we love you, but you're weird. Um, this is also not a series, though, about us being a bunch of people who do weird things in the name of Jesus, right? Like, as, as followers of Jesus, we want to stand out, and we need to stand out, but we need to remember, ultimately, we're standing out from a place of being God's special possession. That's what makes us stand out. That's what makes us different from everyone else in the world. So from that place, when we realize, hey, I belong to Jesus, and because of that, I'm going to live a different way, that's a lot different than just being like, well, we're Christians, we're supposed to be weird, Right? You think about missionaries. Missionaries go overseas and they try to spread the love of Jesus to different people. And one of the first and most important things they do is study the culture of people they're going to reach, right? 
They, they may learn the language. They're trying to discern if I do this, would that dishonor these people culturally? Would that honor them culturally? And I think we need to learn from that as followers of Jesus and remember that we need to know what's going to work in our nation, in our school, in our business, in our neighborhood, like right now, 2021, right? And so maybe like, you know, getting up at the, at the, block party on a table and yelling out, repent, the end is near. Like, that's peculiar, but it's not the kind of peculiar that we need to be about. So this is not a series about being just weird in the name of Jesus. No, this is a series about you and I saying, hey, I'm God's special possession, and that means I've got to live like it. Everybody say peculiar people means that you and I are God's special possession. And because we're his special possession, now we have to stand out, right? Because the world's doing things their own way. Everybody's got their own idea and agenda. Everything's, you know, subjective right now. It's very hard to nail down truth in our society. It's just all about feeling and emotion. We kind of be pulled along. Whatever works for you works for you. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. But we are God's special people, right? And so we've got to live from that place. We're not going to do it perfectly, this is not a message saying, come on, guys, let's get it together, and we, we've got to make this impact on our own strength. No, we're going to fall short at times, and we're going to need to grab onto Jesus, and he's going to pick us up, and he's going to forgive us, and he's going to put us back on course again. And when sometimes when we fall short, we also we need to own that in front of the people that have seen it. But there's something really special about being God's special possession. So back to my dog, Chewy, Chewbacca. Uh, Chewy is... This addition to our family as of last summer, and we all knew the kids were going to be crazy about Chewy. Like, we all knew this. We all knew he was probably going to annoy me a good bit. Um, What we didn't see coming was that he was going to become my wife Kelly's special possession. Like, that shocked all of us. None of us saw that coming. And so she, uh, you know, wakes up with him every morning. She takes him on more walks than anybody. She cleans up his mess after, you know, way more than anybody. She feeds him. She gives him treats more than anybody. And so there's this special possession thing going on. Like she sometimes will literally hold him like he's a child. Like look at this picture I have. Like like that's insanity, right? Like that's kind of crazy. I literally have to look at her sometimes and say, you know he's not human, right? Like you, you realize this? But here is what's amazing about Chewy. Chewy lives like he is Kelly's special possession. Because he's been treated that way, he responds that way. Like, like if, if we all come into the house at the same time, all five of us, he always runs to Kelly. He could just care less that the rest of the four of us are there right away. In fact, if I could throw Kate out there a little bit, this afternoon, he was sitting on the couch, and he literally said, Chewy, come here, Chewy, come, come, come here, come here, come here, Chewy. He just looked at Cade, and he walked right over next to Kelly and just, like, snuggled up, you know? So, like, this is how it goes out. If we go out on a family walk, and Kelly wants to do another lap around the neighborhood, and we're all going to go home with Chewy, I mean, he will squeal and claw and cry until he gets close to Kelly. Why? Because he is her special possession. He's treated like it, and he lives accordingly. And the same has to be true for you and I, right? We're God's special possession, his peculiar people. And so now we've got to act like it. The problem is there are some some traps we fall into when it comes to this, when it comes to really living this out. And I'm going to talk about one of those traps today, another one next week, and then the last two weeks of this series, we're going to kind of take this series in a little bit of a different direction. But for today, the trap I want to talk to you and I about is called small 
compromises. Small compromises keep us from living like God's peculiar people, his special possession. Small compromises get in the way of us standing out like we could and should in society right now. Small compromises, you ready for this? Lead to great destruction. Think about that. Just left to themselves as small compromises have this way of growing into bigger compromises and greater compromises and then eventually big destruction. You know, we've all seen the guy or the girl on the news apologizing for something, right? They're apologizing because they did something that they shouldn't have done. They're so ashamed they had an affair and now they're embarrassed. They're a movie star or they're a sports person and, and then and everything fell apart. They, they um, embezzled money, right? A business person embezzled money and here they are on the news ashamed and apologizing. Uh, somebody, you know, committed murder on the, on the movie. Well, they're not usually on the news apologizing for that one. But, but there they are, right? Ashamed. And we all sit there and we go, what? You ready? Here's the question we ask and it's the wrong question. We say, what were those people thinking that day that they did this like they woke up and they had an affair embezzled money slept with somebody what were they thinking that day that's the wrong question because the truth is it's not about that day it's about like 365 days before that or 500 days before that or a thousand days before that because every great compromise started with just a little one the same is true for you and I. This isn't just about people on TV, right? We've got to look at our lives. And maybe as I've been talking, you've been thinking about some compromise in your life and maybe something that blew up in your face. And you're thinking, man, what was I thinking that day? Why did I do that that day? Well, you know what? It really wasn't so much about that day. It was about the 365 or the 500 or the 1,000 before that that led you and I to that day, that led us to that point because we've got to look at those small little compromises that seem so innocent and end up really biting us in the end. Why is this so important to talk about? Well, a few reasons. First off, when we give in to those small compromises that become big ones, man, we miss out on the life that God wants for us. Like he offers us life and satisfaction, doesn't he? And when we give into those small compromises, we're missing out on that. I think we've all lived life enough, and many of us, especially with God in our lives, where we know that that small compromise, it truly, at the end of the day, doesn't lead us to life. It leads us to destruction. And I'm not trying to rob you of life in this series. Some of you are thinking, oh, Doug's trying to ruin all my fun here. He's trying to squash all those things that I'm living for right now. I'm not trying to rob you of life. I'm really trying to lead you to life. And though we're talking in this series about right and wrong and not compromising, I'm not trying to rob these, these, these like little small pleasures we have because at the end of the day, though the Bible says sin is fun for a season, eventually it's not anymore and it leads to great brokenness. And so my heart here is to help rescue you and I from those pitfalls in our lives. See, I need you to hear this loud and clear. This message is not meant to condemn your past right? If you're a follower of Jesus, can we all agree on something? That the things you did yesterday and 10 years ago, right, all those things forgiven and wiped clean because Jesus is amazing, amen? So we're not here tonight to have a beat down in church, okay? We're not here tonight so that we all don't sleep for the next week because we're so condemned and upset and broken at our performance. Like Joe talked about last week, there is a high priest named Jesus, right, who has rescued us from our sin. And so 
what's the point of this then? It's all about the future. It's all about us looking ahead and saying, man, Jesus has been so good to us. We're his special possession. It died, he died to make us his special possession. And now going forward, I want the life he offers. I don't want to miss that because of small compromises which grow into really big ones which lead to big destruction. And the word of God is so good to warn us. When I was a youth group kid, I was on a retreat, and I'll never forget the story that one of our speakers told. It just like, like, like it probably will do to you in just a minute, it just shook me to my core, and I've never forgotten it. And what he said was, there was a guy who lived in a neighborhood, this true story, and he invited his girlfriend over, and he knew his neighbors were out of town for the week. And he knew that they had a nice pool in their backyard, and so he and his girlfriend were going to go sneak over there and go swimming. And so they wait till it's dark out, they sneak over. As they're going through the fence, there's a sign on the fence that says, warning, danger, right? And the guy's like, all right, whatever, I know these people, and I'm going to go ahead in there, and we're just, they've probably got a little poodle dog or something that's going to bark at us, and that's the great warning danger, right? And so he goes back to keep all the lights off because they want to make sure that they don't get caught sneaking into the neighbor's yard. He gets up on the diving board, he dives in, and the pool is empty, and he breaks his neck. And guys, this is what Scripture is trying to do for you and I. It's trying to help us realize that we are all right on the edge of the diving board, you know, ready to jump in. That sign on the fence was not there to rob them of fun, right? It was there to preserve life. And that's what the Word of God is to us. And that's what this series is. It's that we would realize as God's peculiar people, his special possession, he's just got better for us than to do things our own way or the world's way. You know, another reason this is so important to talk about is because when you and I give in a compromise, it keep, keeps us from acting like God's special possession, and the world around us so badly needs to see the real thing right now. And listen, the real thing is imperfect, right? I'm not saying the real thing is you and I never sinning again. The real thing is, is raw and genuine, and, and there's an honest heart behind striving to be like Jesus and live for him and owning it when we fall short. But the world so badly needs to see genuine, special people that belong to God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, man, thank you for being here. Thank you for watching online. And I want to let you know that it's so important that you understand why we're talking about living a certain way. You see, we're, we're not talking about living a certain way so that we'll become God's special possession, but because we are already are God's special possession. If you're not a father of Jesus, he wants you to be his special possession, right? My dog Chewy doesn't run to my wife like he does because he hopes one day he'll become Kelly's special possession, right? He already is, and that makes him act like he acts, and the same is true for all of us here. We want to really focus on how we live our lives because we're already Jesus's. We already belong to him. And if you don't know him, I'm going to give you a chance to look to him tonight. Today we're going to look at King Solomon. And we're going to look at some of the law that God gave to King Solomon. And um, we're going to look and see if he followed it and if he lived it out. And if he compromised, spoiler he compromised. And if he compromised, we're going to see how that played out. And we're going to see if it started with small little stuff that grew and grew and grew into big destruction. So please read with me on the screens. Again, I need you guys talking back to me. I'm going to 
fill you in when you're ready to roll. Um, Bible, open it on up to uh, Deuteronomy 17. We're also going to be f- uh, flipping back and forth between that and Chronicles and Kings. But look at what it says in Deuteronomy 17. God's giving the king the law, and it's, and, and, or the people, when they, when they want to bring a king in, he's saying, this is what the, the king should be like. It says in verse 14, when you enter the land the Lord your God's giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, here we go, qualifier number one. Be sure to appoint you a king the Lord your God chooses. Number two, he must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, who, one who's not an Israelite. So those make sense, Right? Okay, when we get a king, he should be somebody God wants to be king, and he should be somebody from our nation. No surprise there. But this next one gets a little strange. Look at verse 16. The king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself. Did anybody see that coming? Or make the people return to Egypt to get more of of them, more of these horses, right? For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. Now, different parts of the Bible tell us different parts of God's story and interaction with his people. And we just read in Deuteronomy some of the law for the king. So, all right, don't get horses from Egypt and don't get a great number of them. Well, let's look at 2 Chronicles 9. It says this in verse 28. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt, exactly where God told him not to, and from all other countries. So if they're coming from all other countries, it's a great number of horses. Because why not? What's the big deal? What does it really matter if the king gets a bunch of horses or not and gets them from Egypt or not? Who really cares? God always has a reason for what he tells us to do. All right, I'm going to say it, then you say it. God always has a reason for what he tells us to do. And when those small compromises are there, we, we just talk ourselves a little bit more and more into them, right? Like, what's the big deal? I can only imagine Solomon's on the, the, the throne going, dude, that king's got a lot of horses. I'm going to go get me some horses. And if I get them from Egypt, I get them from Egypt. Now, why would, be, why would it be a bad thing for him to do this? Well, a few reasons. If he built this huge army and had all these horses, and had, right, he's going to rely on his own strength instead of the Lord, which Israel had this history of doing. And also, he was sending them back to the land of Egypt, which God had already set them free from. And God has broken association with this place. And he's saying, look, I don't want you influenced by them. I don't even want you back there. Isn't that like you and I sometimes? Running back to the places God's already set us free from. Small compromises. Small compromises. Now, for Solomon, the small compromise was horses. It's probably not for you. But there's some other stuff, right? Maybe it's the married person here in the room today. And we're just kind of going, yeah, you know what? All right, so like somebody attractive walks by, check them out. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check them out. Like I'm not going to do anything with them. I'm not going to say anything inappropriate, but I'm just going to kind of like look, let my mind wander a bit. Small compromise, right? You don't end up on the news for that. Young professional in the room, all right, I exaggerate a little bit on my resume. Just made myself look a little bit more attractive. But, man, we are in like a nasty work environment, and everyone's fighting for himself. I, got, I just got to do what I got to do. It's the college student, right? Just, you know, a little fib about, you know, where you went to, to school for that next step towards your master's. You know, you may, may have written that you went to Yale, you know. It's a, you're just really pale and it rhymes with Yale. So I don't know, it's a, right? It's, it's, it's maybe some of us here in the room just listening to music. It's just full of like every other word's the F word. And there's just like all this talk about sex and just, you know, you're saying the same thing I said when I was your age. Like, I just like the music, right? I'm not listening to the lyrics. 
Isn't it funny how it gets everything? Small compromise. Like, none of this stuff gets us on the news. But here is what we have to know. I think Solomon, when he compromised on the horses, because why not? I think, and he kind of got away with it, and his whole world didn't fall apart. It made it that much easier to think he'd get away with the bigger compromise, right? And that's the lie. That's the lie. That's what I want to protect you and I from here today. The next piece of the law we're going to look at here says this. Again, talking about the king, the very next verse, verse 17. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Now, we can imagine why that's probably wise. Because when you and I, man, we get ourselves on a ton of money, it's amazing how quickly it corrupts us, how we become prideful, how we become materialistic, how we become idolatrous. And so we can imagine why maybe Solomon should stay away from that. Let's head back to Second Chronicles 9 and look at what it says here. Verse 13, the weight of the what? That Solomon received was yearly was 666. That's an interesting number. Talents not including the revenues brought in by merchants and traders. Also, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the territories brought what? And silver to Solomon. That sounds like a lot. Everybody's bringing him gold and silver. It goes on, verse 15. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered, 600 shekels of hammered went into each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered with 300 shekels of in each shield. That's like we're playing Mad Lib or something. I don't know. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a great throne covered with ivory and overlaid with pure. The throne had six steps and a footstool of, was attached to it. On both sides of the seats were armrests with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps, one at either end of each step. Nothing like it had ever been made for any other kingdom. That is some man cave right there, right? You might have a 100-inch OLED TV with a recliner with a refrigerator built right on the bottom, George Costanza style, but you got nothing on Solomon, and that's set up. Verse 20, all the King Solomon goblets were, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was beneath him, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships manned by Hiram's servants. Once every three years it returned carrying silver and ivory and apes and baboons i want in on this are you kidding me when i was a kid there was a place called selmer's petland huntington anybody ever been there yes i'm so excited about this and when i was a kid they actually had monkeys there and i was so excited about this you could go you could hang out with them you could throw stuff at them they throw stuff at you it was awesome i'm so jealous of solomon here verse 22 king solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all other kings of the earth all the kings of the earth sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart, right? Because God gave him this tremendous wisdom because at this one beautiful moment, Solomon, Solomon asked for something right on God's heart. Verse 24, year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and, and robes, weapons and spices and horses and mules. We're back to the horses again. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horses. Do not get lots of horses. Do not go back to Egypt. Do not get silver and gold which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. He ruled over the kings from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. That's a lot of gold and silver. Compromise. It's a bigger compromise than the last one, right? Because he got away with the last one, so really what's the problem? So he compromised a little bit more. 
it took 14 verses that we just read together to describe how much gold Solomon had. You know how many verses it would take to describe how much silver and gold I have? Just one. It would just say none. <laughs> Second Chronicles 9, the heading would say, this is the record of silver and gold of Doug of Hopog, and in verse 1 it would just be like none. Little compromise, a little bit more compromise. Not the worst stuff in the world. Again, this is not the worst stuff in the world. No king gets on the news because he compromised and got a whole bunch of gold and silver and horses. But God had told him not to. God knew what could happen to his heart. God knew how easily it could be turned into idolatry and self-reliance and arrogance and pride. And God always has a reason for what he tells us to do. I'm going to say you say, God always has a reason for what he tells us to do. And maybe we're chasing silver and gold, but maybe we're not, right? As God's special possession, as his peculiar people, maybe we're just at a different level of compromise. Maybe for some of us, we're just recently kind of finding ourselves watching a lot of entertainment with sex and nudity in it. And again, you don't end up on the news for that, but it's a bigger level of compromise. It's another step down that path of destruction, isn't it? Maybe for some of us in the room, it's I, I'm going pretty far with my significant other right now, and, and we're not married yet, but like we haven't gone all the way, but we're getting close, and man, it's getting harder and harder just to be pure. And you know, I mean, this is like 2021, like everybody's doing this kind of stuff, right? It's not 1921, which by the way, they called the Roaring Twenties. It was pretty wild back in the day, all right? Some of you saying, I, yeah, I fudged a few numbers on my tax return, but you know, I kind of need it. The government can just print some more, like, right? It's, like I'm just kind of doing what I need to to get by. And it's just compromise. We've just talked ourselves a little bit deeper. And Solomon was on this road of, of treachery because he just kept getting away with it. And sometimes I think that's what we think is going to be true of us. Like, we did this, now we do a little bit more. Remember, this is not a beatdown. This is not a beatdown for your past. This is let's protect our souls and our hearts in the future. Let's change what we were going to do tonight and this week and beyond. Because we remember God is seeing us on the diving board ready to jump into the pool, and he is mercifully putting a big sign up on the fence that says, danger, warning, keep out. This is what the Word of God is to us. The Word of God is many things to us. It's encouragement. It's uh, peace to us. It's life to us. But it's also a warning at times, isn't it? Verse 17 in Deuteronomy 17. Again, another rule for the king. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Now, this is a little strange to us. Uh, in our day and age, this doesn't happen much. But back in the day, this was done quite a bit. There were plenty of times in the Bible where you see people uh, going against what God said and having multiple wives and, and different lovers and, and things. And, and again, this wasn't God's plan, right? In Genesis, we read God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve and Martha and Sally, and, right? Like it wasn't a bunch of them, right? It was Adam and Eve together. This was Solomon doing what he just felt like doing. And God knew that if the king did this, his heart would be led astray. Let's head to 1 Kings 11 and see what Solomon chose to do. Verse 1, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. Why? Because they will surely turn your heart 
after their gods. See, God had a reason. God always has a reason for what he tells us to do. Uh, probably all of our parents have said, because I said so, right? Man, I've even done it. <laughs> Sometimes it's just easy. Why? Because I said so. There's a reason, but I don't feel like telling you right now, and it's just because I say so. But God always has a great reason for telling us to do what he tells us to do. Verse 2, nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. Think about it. Small compromise led to big destruction, right? Think about it. Solomon started out with the horses. That worked out all right. He went to the silver and gold. You know, him and God are still on speaking terms. And suddenly he gets to the point where he pursues all these women, and he gets to the place where his heart is turned away from the Lord. I just wonder if at every single turn he was kind of justifying it because the, the bottom hadn't fell out yet, right? Like we've all seen where that happens. Sometimes that's us. Sometimes that's our story. The bottom falls out and it's a mess now. But I think sometimes when we get away with the small little stuff we don't think anybody sees, we don't realize that we're on a path that might end up really blowing up in our face. And again, God's heart, my heart here tonight is not to scare you or, or make you, you know, fearful or twist your arm into doing the right thing. It's, it's literally like, like me looking at one of my kids running toward traffic, like me running, looking at one of my kids running toward an open fire, you know, like when they were real little, like, no, just, just get away, stay away. You can get burned. Like, that's going to harm you. And that's what God so often does in his word. And here's what's so important. We have to ask this question. Why did Solomon feel like he needed not one, not five, not 500, but a thousand women. Think about that. Well, he, he had one and, and he pursued another and, and two wasn't enough and then five wasn't enough and 500 wasn't enough and, and a thousand, right? Because there was still this emptiness in him, even though he had all that and all silver and gold and all the horses he could want, right? If anyone could have made this work, it was Solomon. If natural things like money and women and stuff could have satisfied anybody, Solomon was the man. And yet, he still was chasing more. And sometimes that's you and me, right? How much is enough? Just a little more than I have. A little bit more popularity. If I have to gossip about some people and I have to tear some people down so that this person will think more highly of me, I just need a little more of that. How much money? Just a little more. How much sex? Just a little more. And then I'll finally be okay. I'll finally be satisfied. I hope we're learning today that none of this stuff is meant to satisfy our hearts. And this is the life I'm talking about, right? That God wants us to live. He wants us to live this life of satisfaction in him. And it's only found in him. Right? The old school explanation was that there's this God-shaped hole in every single one of us, and we try to cram all kinds of other stuff in there, and it just does not work because it's a God-shaped hole, and that's the only thing that can fill that void in our hearts, in our lives. Small, small compromise leads to big destruction. You know, I've walked with lots of people through lots of different things. A lot of our staff have. We've walked through lots of different hurts and, and, and heartaches and heartbreaks that people have been through. 
And um, if, if what I'm about to bring up is true of you, just know I'm not picking on you. I'm just talking about what I've experienced. And I hope and we hope that you will keep coming with those things that have gone on in your life. If you're here today and the bottom has fallen out and you're like, oh, Doug, I am not at small compromise. I'm way beyond that. Come to us. Let us walk you through it. We will love you. We've heard it all. We've seen it all. And we just are here to be God's, God's arms around you, to love you and care for you and get you right back on the right path. But I will say this. I've never met the person, as I've walked with many people through this, I've never met the person who ended up having an affair that didn't first start with really, really small compromise. Like I've never met the person who just woke up one day and had an affair, right? What I've seen time and time and time again is you just start to kind of like not respond to those little nudges that God puts on your heart. You just ignore a few little ones, right? You, you start to sort of feel like maybe if you ignore some warning signs up on the fence, so to speak, right, that you can kind of just, you know, graze past it and you'll be all right. And, and then it's just that little compromise. Maybe you spend a little extra time at staff meeting because so-and-so's in the room. And it's innocent. You're not talking about anything inappropriate. You're not doing anything inappropriate. But you're just there a little extra longer than probably you should be because you know in your heart what's going on. And then you, you kind of just plan to maybe spend a few minutes after staff meeting or, or a study hall or hanging out at the dorm. You're just going to flirt a little bit more than you should. And then the next thing you know, you're trying to figure out, hey man, how, how can I you know, get out to lunch with that person, just the two of us? And, and you end up out to lunch. You don't have any business being out to lunch together. And then maybe I can just, you know, we'll exchange numbers and and, and maybe for some of you guys in the room, you know, this isn't like you're, you're, you're in a married relationship. Some of us it is. Some of us it's not. Some of us it's just we're in a relationship or we're in that environment with somebody we have no business being in that relationship with or, or in that environment with. We just kind of know it's going to head somewhere bad. But, but there we are exchanging numbers anyway, making sure you kind of end up on that same business trip or college trip. And, and then next thing you know, you, lead, you meet for like a late night hangout drink or something. And, and then maybe you end up waking up in bed together, right? But think about how much that took. It was just small compromise after small compromise. And that's why as God's peculiar people, his special possession, we need to stand out. We need to say no to the small compromise because it's just gonna snowball from there, right? Now listen, you are forgiven. You are loved Jesus is passionate about you. You are clean before him. If you've come to him and said, Lord, I got myself in some trouble. Here's what I've done. Man, he looks at you with such grace in his heart, and so do I. But I also care about your future, and so does he. And his heart for you and me is that here on out, we watch for those small little compromises. That's what God's special possession does. That's what his peculiar people do we just keep those eyes out we say wait wait wait, no no no. see that's gonna I, I i could watch that movie but how's that gonna lead anywhere good you know i had a friend years ago who was talking with some people and they were all talking about game of thrones game of thrones oh it's this great show and, and he was talking with a bunch of christians and he looked back at them and said man you guys must be like so much more holy than me because there's no way i could watch an episode of game of thrones and see all that and still have my heart set on jesus right just being careful about what we're filling our minds with, what we're filling our ears with, the, the kinds of things we're talking about and saying and doing, and all of this 
leads us somewhere called life, <laughs> called satisfaction. And so what is the small compromise in your life right now? What's that thing that maybe you've just kind of swept under the carpet for a while and said, well, I'm kind of getting away with this. Man, I think God's heart for you and I is cut that thing off right now. Maybe it's time to delete a number. Maybe it's time to get rid of some of the entertainment that we've been listening to or watching lately. Maybe it's time to just get with somebody who loves Jesus and just, man, spill our guts. Here's the stupid stuff I've been doing. And I just want you to pray for me. And I want you to remind me that Jesus is better than all this stuff. Maybe some of us are like, oh, Doug, I'm way past that. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the pool, man. I jumped and I smacked my head and I broke my neck and now I'm laying here and I need some grace. I need God to pick me up and heal me. And if that's you, we want to be a part of that process. We want to help you walk that out. And some of us just really need that freedom. We've been living a certain way, chasing something, and it has not satisfied us, and we're miserable. I recently spoke with somebody who was doing some, some things that made, um, they were just making some really bad decisions. And when I talked with them about it, they looked back at me and said, I am so glad you know. Doug, I'm so glad you know. You don't know how relieved I am that this is no longer a secret, that this is out in the open, and now I can deal with this between me and God. And there's something really beautiful about that. David wrote about that. You know how hot it is outside today? You know how it's like deadly hot out there? David said, when I kept my sin from you, Lord, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer trying to do some work outside today, trying to go on a jog today, your strength is sapped. It's like you have nothing in you. Your soul's like shriveling up. And he says, when I confess my sin to you, man, God, that's when life came. That's when freedom came. And so some of us are there and we need to get real with the Lord and we need to get real with one another. Small compromise leads to big destruction. There's a world that's watching us and they so badly need to see the hope of God at work in our lives. If you're not a follower of Jesus, he offers you forgiveness and love and mercy, and he offers you satisfaction. Nobody else can give you that. Everybody's offering it, but no one else can deliver on that. He wants you to find satisfaction and peace in him. I'd love for you to pray with me in just a minute and ask Jesus to be your savior. But for the rest of us, let's remember this week to keep our eyes out for a small compromise. Let's remember this week to bring to Jesus and somebody else the big compromise. Let's start to heal. Let's let God do something new in our lives. Don't fall for the lie that the small compromise is gonna lead you anywhere good. God's got better for you as his special possession. Let's pray together. God, we're so grateful that you have given us the word of God which brings life. The word of God which draws us back to you time and time again that protects us from those things and those situations that we tend to try to run toward the edge of the pool and dive in. And Lord, you know it leads to brokenness. And so God, we just ask you, Jesus, right now to be merciful to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you need to just have a minute where you're confessing to God some of the stuff that you've been doing. There's freedom there. There's healing there. He's that good to us. And so if you want to begin to talk to God, God, I've been looking at porn, God. I've been gossiping horribly, God. God, I've been sleeping around, God. I've been just um, angry at you. I've, I've been using my time in a way just to pursue all my personal gain. I, I haven't talked to you in so long, Lord. Here I am. 
Here I am, just lay it out before you. If you're a follower of Jesus, then I encourage you to spend some time praying that way. But if you're, if you're not and you want to put your trust in him, I'd love for you to pray with me now. And you can just say something quietly like this to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for making me right now your special possession. Thank you, God, that you've got good for me, that you want to protect me from all of those dead ends that lead to brokenness. And you want me to live. You want me to have life here. You want me to have life eternally because of what you've done. And I thank you for that gift. God, I pray that you'll make me somebody as your special possession who points others to you by the way that I live.